Good morning, everybody. I love all the energy that comes in here when you guys start coming in. Everybody's happy. I see so many mugs. And just so you know, I'm an equal opportunity person. My first mug was coffee. My second mug is tea. So I have no bias against you tea drinkers. The first thing I'm going to do, I told you I was going to bring some mugs to give away. Now, I don't care if you have a mug already or you didn't bring one today, and I want you to be bold. You're going to have to raise your hand if this mug is for you, okay? <clears throat> my mug this morning is awesome, Mom. Did my kids buy it for me? No. I bought it for myself. I saw, <laughs> I saw it, and I'm like, that's me. I'm going to buy that mug, so... <laughs> All right, I wrapped up, they have been washed, so when you get your mug, you can go and get a cup of coffee in it. Okay, who is like, coffee is my jam, like I cannot live without coffee. Okay, her hand went up first. This mug says coffee before talkie. <laughs> and in the bottom, there's little uh, coffee beans in it, so come on up and get this. Like, don't even bother talking to me until I finish this cup, or at least gotten to here. <laughs> there you go. This one, okay, if you are in a season right now where you are just living by faith, like, you have to, you're just like, I just need you, Lord, because every step I'm taking is just trusting you little by little. You right there? Come on up. This mug says, faith isn't always a leap. Sometimes it's just one little step after another with lots of falling down and getting back up in between. <laughs> right? Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Who, what, how many intercessors do I have in here? You're like, give me my prayer closet. I love prayer. It's what, oh, somebody's pointing at someone else. Are you an intercessor? Do you love to pray? Then this one's for you. Be kind, reach out, pray. And it says, dare to be the difference in someone's day. Because when you're praying for them, then there's some scripture along the rim. Thank you for praying for people. Thank intercessors are so important. You're welcome. And then someone came up to me this morning. Melanie, is that right? Is that your name? Okay, awesome. And she said, I thought I was buying this mug for myself. And the Lord said, no, that's for somebody at B&B. So, let me see. Okay, who's in a battle right now? You're in a battle? Come on up. You right there. I saw hand fingers pointing at you. This says, warrior princess. And you're like, you're like Xena or whatever, you know? It's like flowers and pretty, but you're a warrior. You're welcome. Thank you, Melanie, for that. And by the way, if someone loves your mug, if the Lord says give it to them, give it to them. If you like someone's mug, just distract them and take it. Because we're all Christian, you'll eventually be forgiven, right? There's grace. Uh, somebody today, Kathy was like, I'm not showing anyone my mug because I'm not giving this mug away. And I wouldn't have given my mug last month away for the world. This one I'd give away. But just think about it and talk about them. What does your mug say? What does it mean? Where'd you get it from? Whatever. It's a really neat connection point for us. 
So this morning I'm going to teach you guys about one of my favorite Greek words. I'm going to get super nerdy. Uh, the word is teleos. Um, it's the word often used in the New Testament that is translated into the word perfect. Like perfect love casts out all fear. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. My power is made perfect in weakness. The problem is we do the word teleos a great disservice when we hang our cultural definitions of perfect on this word. What do you guys think of when you hear the word perfect? Just speak it out. Well, Jesus, that's a good Christian answer. When you hear the word perfect in our culture, what do you think about when you hear it? What does it mean to you? Flawless. What was that? A 10 out of 10, right? Like Bo Derek with her hair. Super what? Super body is perfect. She has the perfect body, right? What else? Has it all together. Sometimes unattainable. Perfection. How do you reach perfection, right? In the way that we see perfection. Some of the, some of the things I wrote down, flawless. The supermodel is considered perfect. No blemish or marks, right? If you have stretch marks, are you then imperfect? Is your, is your belly imperfect then? Because there's marks on it. Beauty, thin, something's delicious. Oh, this cheesecake is perfect, right? What do you think teenage girls mean when they go, oh, she's so perfect? It's, there's a lot packed in there, right? There's a lot packed in there. And it usually means nothing bad, all good. That's perfect. But none of the definitions that I just said or that you guys called out are actually what is meant by perfect in the Bible. They don't define teleos. Here's what teleos means, the word used for perfect in the Bible. Brought to completion, fully accomplished or developed, entire as opposed to what is partial and limited, mature. And I'm going I'm to give you an illustration of teleos. This hammer, right now it's not teleos. If it's hammering in a nail, it's teleos. It's doing what it was created to do. It's doing what it was purposed to do. It's fully accomplished what it's meant to do. This flashlight isn't teleos when it's just sitting here. But if the lights go out and I can turn it on and shine it around, it's now teleos. Because it's doing what it was made to do. It's doing what it was created to do. That's teleos. They're teleos when they fully accomplish their purpose. So I'm going to look at a few well-known texts that mention perfection one way or another, and we're going to see that when we kind of do this shift in our thinking of this word, how it changes them all. The first one, and my favorite, is 2 Corinthians 12. So Paul's just been boasting about some visions that some man in Christ had, and we all know it's Paul that has had these visions. Um, and he's boasting because his, his opponents have been claiming this these paranormal experience, these paranormal experiences to validate themselves as bonus apostles. They're like just add-ons to the apostle squad, you know? They're talking about their experiences they've had, and they say, well, I'm an apostle too. It'd be these guys walking into the Death Star and being like, I'm, here we are, I'm a stormtrooper, 
you know? Look, I've got a box on my head and a Lowe's tub. I'm a stormtrooper. I'm a bonus stormtrooper. And if Star Wars kind of isn't your thing, then it's like these guys. Like, I'm a bonus beetle. You can just call me, you know, Zingo, whatever. I'm a bonus beetle. Check me out. I look just like the Beatles. This is kind of what they were doing, except not dressed like that. They were boasting of all these experiences to try to say, look, I'm an apostle too. But the reason why they were saying that they were apostles was because they wanted the allegiance and the finances of the Corinthian church. They were trying to get money from them. So this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 12. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regards to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I would not be foolish, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. He's like, I could boast because I'm awesome, but I'm not going to boast. But I could, but I won't, but I could, but I won't. This section is called part of his fool's speech, where he plays the fool. He says in verse 16, receive me as foolish so that I can boast a little bit. The true philosopher in that day actually used irony to sort of vindicate himself. He would play the fool. He wouldn't refer to himself, but then he'd talk about all of his accomplishments and then say, well, but what do I know? You know, I think moms do that a lot, like when your kids question, like, you know what you're talking about, and you're like, you do this, this, and this, but what do I know? I've just been alive for 40 years and know a little bit more than you, but, you know, what do I know? That's kind of how these philosophers, what they would do. The funny thing is, Paul actually could boast. He had amazing encounters with the Lord, supernatural encounters. Talk about the third heaven, maybe apart from the body, maybe not. He could boast about his experiences. But then he says this in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So before we get into teleos and his power being made perfect, I want to talk about this thorn in the flesh for just a minute. There's a lot of discussion on what this thorn could be. No joke, when I was in seminary and we were studying this text, um, Seriously, scholars have debated and some have concluded that his thorn was a red-headed wife. I'm not even making that up. I'm like, what? Excuse me? I'm already like one of four women in the whole class and I have red hair. But there, some had postulated that Paul had a red-headed wife and she was a thorn in his flesh. <laughs> Boo, right. Boo. Um, a lot of Christians use this text as a loophole to somehow justify that God gives us sickness to teach us something. Um, God gave me this thorn of lupus so he could teach me something. I asked him to take it away and he's not. His grace is sufficient. Praise God. I'm just going to learn something with this illness. Now what those people may not know is, in Numbers 33, the expression thorn in your sides 
refers to the inhabitants of Canaan, refers to the Canaanites. God says that just as a thorn in the side would be troublesome, so will the Canaanites. In Joshua 23, we read, they will be a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Again, speaking of the Canaanites. It's not a physical ailment. In 2 Samuel, David says, but ungodly men are like thorns that are discarded because they can't be safely handled. In all of these cases, the thorns are personalities or people. And Paul states what his thorn is as well. He says it was the messenger of Satan. And in all 188 times that this word for angel or messenger is, is used, um, it's always of a person and not of a thing. It's never of any type of illness or something like that, without exception. So we know that the thorn was an angel of Satan, and we know from Paul that it came to buffet him. And this word buffet comes from this idea of waves on the shore. It's kind of blow after blow. Anybody else been there? You're like, oh my gosh, and you finally get up, and you finally get up. That's what this buffet is. He's being buffeted. From, from this we learn that Paul's thorn was most likely Satan's messengers inciting the people around him, like these factions that were always attacking him and coming against him and causing him to have to defend himself. Anyone else have like a thorny person in your life? Not a redhead, right? You're like, Lord, take them away, you know? You know, and Satan can incite people around you to just be troublesome. God once told Ananias, regarding Paul, I will show him how great things must suffer for my name's sake. But it wasn't by sickness. It was by Paul's persecutions that he was facing. Do you remember Paul used to persecute the Christians? He took great pride and satisfaction in persecuting the Christians. And now he was being persecuted, the same and even greater in some ways. Paul talks about facing lashes, imprisonments, beatings, danger, at the hands of bandits, at the hands of Gentiles, at the hands of his own countrymen, or false brothers. It doesn't mention sickness, it was all people that he was facing these persecutions by. And he feels like he's been being persecuted so that he wouldn't exalt himself too greatly, that he wouldn't get a big head, that he wouldn't feel like he was all that, right? He was being kept sort of down, kept in place. He asked God to take them, and this was God's response. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now I have to admit, growing up I didn't understand what this meant at all. You could see it cross-stitched and now you'd probably see it in that really fancy writing that people can do and on Etsy, you know, my grace is, my power is made perfect in weakness and I never really understood what that, what that really meant for me until I studied the Greek and then it opened it up in a whole new way. So I'm gonna look at four main Greek words just from this verse nine. Grace, um, power, perfect, and weakness. Grace is an act of favor Arcane, or I believe here it's archaeo, to be sufficient, to be enough, to be of service. Uh, dunamis is power, strength, ability, authority, might, majesty, mighty means. Teleos or teleo, 
brought to completion, fully accomplished, fully mature and complete. And asthenia, weakness, feebleness, suffering, affliction, stress, calamity, frailty, imperfection, right? So this is what he's saying. My favor will be a service to you. For my strength, authority, ability, and power will be in full operation in your suffering. He's like, when you are suffering and weak, my strength and my power will be locked and loaded. I am ready. I am ready to go and fight and be strong and rise up. My power is ready to step in and go forward in you when you feel weak. Remember how a hammer is teleos when it's hammering, when it does what it was created to do? God's power and strength in us does what it was created to do when we are weak and we have absolutely no strength to offer. When we are fully at our weakest, this verse says, my power is made perfect. My power is fully accomplished, made complete, steps in, does what it was created to do in you when you're weak. And somebody here this morning needs to hear this needs to be encouraged by this very idea. Your situation is summed up by the definition I gave you of weakness. You're like, check, check, check. Stress, suffering, weakness, calamity. You're just like, that is my life right now. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God's strength will fill in the gaps, okay? His power will rise up and take its place and do what it was created to do in you. He will rise up. His strength will rise up. Because I know right now you feel like you cannot rise up another time. The wave has come and you're crashed and you're like, I just can't get up another time. He's like, okay, my grace is going to benefit you. And my strength is going to rise up and step up and do what it was created to do in you, in your weakness, as you feel weak. His power shines and shows off. So no matter what is going on in your life, you will have the strength to overcome because it will be his strength working in you. So you can take a break from being so strong. Sometimes it's hard to just keep being strong in a hard time. And you really try to be, and you're like, I don't want to be strong all the time. Sometimes I just want to fall apart. Just fall apart in him, okay? It's okay to not be strong all the time. He may not ask what we ask him to take away. The mountain may not be moved right away. We may not understand, but his promise is that we will overcome in his strength. His grace will be of service to you. Paul closes with this. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure, or in, it's actually I accept, infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He got it. When I'm weak, I'm strong because his grace does what it was created to do in me. Because Christ's power takes over and accomplishes its purpose and weakness, therefore he will all the more gladly boast in his weaknesses. I wish that I had this attitude, you know, like when I'm feeling weak or fearful, like, man, I am doing horrible. Bless God. You know, like, yes, 
I'm so weak today. Thank you, Jesus, you know, because you're going to come through for me. Uh, you know, people ask, how are you doing at church? And what's the answer that we use these days? Busy, right? How you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I know, I've been busy, right? Um, what if it was like, how are you doing today? I am weak. Isn't that awesome? I'm totally frail, janked up, and all janky. My life is bad right now, but it's amazing. And people would be like, I wish I was weak like Kim, like boasting. He boasted, right? Kim is totally weak. I wish I was totally weak like her. Then Christ's strength would be like power in me. I wish, you know, give me some of that weakness, right? Um, but that's kind of, Paul was like, I'm going to boast when I'm weak. Because, man, when I'm weak, Jesus is shining. Jesus shines, and his power is strong when we are weak. How would our valleys be transformed if we truly understood that God's power steps in and does what it was created to do in our weakest times? And then we can rejoice because you know he's going to use that trial for something amazing. He's going to redeem it. He can actually give us so much strength and grace that it makes, us at, makes it as if we aren't having that struggle. Makes it as if we aren't going through that time. The problem is still there, but you have this crazy peace. Right? 2005, I found out I had a brain tumor, and I was going to have to have surgery. I actually found out in 2003, but it grew to the point where I was going to have to have brain surgery in 2005. Um, they didn't have to put a door in my head or anything. They actually did the King Tut deal where you go up through the nose and blah, all sorts of interesting stuff. So I have had brain surgery, bucket list, bink, right? <laughs> um, but I will tell you what. Um, God gave me incredible peace with brain surgery. And I remember I worked at LeapFrog in Emeryville at the time, and I had started a blog just for people just about this brain surgery, processing all my thoughts. And people at work would say, how come you're not freaking out? How come you're not terrified? How come, what are you doing? Like I'd put joke comic things up there with, you know, the, the surgeons pressing this part of the brain, and the guy's foot goes up, and they're all laughing, you know? Like, <laughs> and I could tell them, let me tell you about Jesus, because he is coming through for me. I have a peace that passes all understanding because of who God is and Jesus in me. And I could testify to his peace and his strength in a time where I should have been completely weak. So that's what his strength does. He's, it sustains us through the dips, right? In between the glory to glory, he sort of sustains us. So let's think about how this word affects just a couple other verses. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. That's another verse that I didn't totally understand. I'd read it and kind of skip it. I know perfect love casts out fear. What does that mean? Well, now I know what it means, and you guys are going to know what it means. What this verse is in essence saying, love that has been perfected casts out fear. An understanding of God's love that is fully developed, mature, and complete puts fear out. And this word for casts out is like, it just throws it without caring where it goes. It just lets it go, lets it go. If we truly have a mature understanding of God's love, if we can really grasp his love for us and his care of us, then fear would have no place. 
because fear involves bad things happening, right? That's what fear is. And by the way, fear can never um, impact the future. It doesn't impact what's happening. It's a, it, fear is never going to change what's happening. It's only going to mess you up on the inside, right? When I am afraid, it means that my understanding of God's love for me has not reached maturity. It means I haven't fully grasped his love for me. It means I need to be praying for a greater revelation of his love for me, and what he did for me, and how he fills me, and how he cares for me, and how he looks out for me, and goes before, behind, to the side, above, and beneath me, how he's all around me. If we're walking around afraid, God's love in us isn't teleos. It isn't teleos. It's not doing what it was created to do in us, which is make us fearless, make us trust him, make us brave and bold and courageous. So ask the Lord for a revelation of his perfect love, his teleos love, that you would be able to really receive it into your core and that in doing that, fear would just go because you would understand to its fullness what God's love is in you. First Colossians 1.28, Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And this is a verse that I've always held dear to my heart. I feel like it's part of my personal mission and calling as a minister. So I'm going to reread it and tweak it a little bit for this morning. I proclaim him, admonishing every woman and teaching every woman with all wisdom so that I may present every woman perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, neither Paul nor I are trying to churn out a bunch of flawless, perfectly behaved, perfectly moral men and women. That's not the perfect that Paul was talking about. It's not about being flawless and without anything bad, all good, no bad. That's not what it is. That would be impossible, right, to present every man or woman perfect in our definition. Paul's hope was to prevent every man, present every man and woman mature, complete, living out their purpose and destiny, doing on this earth what they were created to do. And that's my hope and my calling, to, pre to present women before the Lord that are walking in their calling, that are doing their best to pursue him in maturity and accomplishing what he has for each of you to do. That's teleos, perfect. He wanted to present them teleos, fully developed in their faith, in all that that means, impacting heart, behavior, decisions, goals, dreams. That's the teleos that we are supposed to be walking in if we want to be presented perfect in Christ. Very different from our definition of perfect, right? Our culture's definition of perfect just doesn't work here at all. If you are trying to be perfect, it's just not going to happen. Try to be teleos. Strive to be teleos. And here's the thing about the, the way we define the word perfect. You can fake perfect. It's very easy to fake perfect. How many times do you see a, a, a Hollywood couple on the red carpet and they're so lovey and staring at each other and then three weeks later you find out they're getting a divorce because the nanny's involved and all this stuff. I mean, it's all the time. They sure looked perfect. Their PR people made sure they looked perfect. But they aren't perfect. You can airbrush, Photoshop, nip, tuck, pluck to perfection, and it's still kind of just the illusion 
of perfection. Think of the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. They looked perfect on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. I actually was thinking this through one, one day when I was doing laundry, every day, really, when I was doing laundry. Um, I struggle a little bit with sheets. I have a king bed and I have a twin bed. So there's twin beds for the kids and king bed for my husband and I. And a flat sheet, done. I'm the queen of folding flat sheets, no problem. The fitted sheet is my nemesis. I just saw her do my move. You did my, my key move. Did you watch me at some point? Because that's my move. So the, my mother-in-law even once like, watched a video like you put your hands in here, like the best way to fold them. Here's what I do. I take those somewhat corners. They aren't corners. They're rounded. They're lame with the stretchy. And I kind of put them together. And then I do one fold. And then I go, ba-dump, ba-dump, ba-dump. <laughs> and then I sort of flop this over. And it kind of looks like a perfectly folded sheet until you like peek in there and you see it's a big jumbled mess, but it looks as if I've done an amazing job folding my fitted sheet. There's my illustration. How's that for all you laundry doers, right? You can make it look like it's good and it's just not, but you can't fake maturity. You can't fake completion. This type of perfection, teleos. Teleos perfection, is an internal maturing in God that is worked out as we work out our salvation. And I don't know if I put that up there, so I'm going to say that again. Teleos perfection is an internal maturing in God that is worked out as we work out our salvation. Trying to fit our shallow definition of perfect onto these texts robs them of their meaning. Okay? In the battle of 2016 perfect versus teleos, which would you rather be? And I'm going to close with a little story about my choice. Um, so several years ago, I was really impacted by seeing all the flawless bodies around me and started to want that. Part of it was stem from, if I get to a certain weight, people think I'm pregnant. It just is what it is. If I get to a certain weight, all my weight goes here, and it's a perfect little drop, and people think I'm pregnant. Strangers have yelled at me across parking lots, congratulations, how far along are you? Strangers. I was on a walk trying to get some exercise at my, at my, on my old street, and my neighbor was on the phone, and he goes, oh. <laughs> no joke. I was at a sushi restaurant. And the waitress handed my husband the sashimi menu, which is all raw fish, and she looks at me and she's all, oh, maybe not so much for you, because she thought I was pregnant. <laughs> it used to make me cry. I used to cry, and then I'm like, you know what, whatever, with you people. <laughs> Never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Even if she's this big, just don't do it. I don't care. Don't do it. But it was hurtful for me. So I decided I'm going to save up and have a mommy makeover that makes it look like I've never had babies. That's what I'm going to do. So uh, we saved up, I think it was $13,000. I was going to have stuff sucked out, stuff put in. I was going to make my body look like it did before I had babies. You know, make it look all perfect. Take away anything extra. Pick up things that were not where they used to be. <laughs> 
And I was all set. The date was on the calendar. And two weeks before the date, I knew the Lord spoke to me and he said, do not do that. Do not do that. What are you going to tell your daughter? What does that tell her about what you think about the body that I've given you that has given you babies? What is that going to tell women at the gym as you're a minister to them that your body wasn't good enough, that you had to do something to make it perfect and make it, just fix it? What is that going to communicate to them? God wanted me to see I already had a perfect body, but it was a teleos perfect body. It was doing what it was created to do. I hugged the hurting. I ministered to those that he put before me. I walked out in missions, and I birthed two babies. I carried babies. Why did I need the body of a 30-year-old that had never given birth? Like, was I ashamed of my body? Was I trying to be something that I wasn't? So I stopped listening to the lie of perfection. We donated the money to medical missions because we're like, it has to go to a hospital of some sort. And now I just try to have the healthiest body for my age with watching what I eat and exercise and stuff. And I'm not saying plastic surgery is bad. I have friends whose stomach after birth, it literally like hangs down. And you know what? I have no problem with that. But my body was just fine. I just needed to work out a little bit, right? And watch what I ate. And I, the, my mind was dysfunctionally thinking I needed to look like a 25-year-old when I was a 40-year-old. What not to wear, if anybody remembers that show, they used to say, never compete with a 17-year-old because they will always win. <laughs> never try to look like them because they've got it. You know, you're not going to look like it. So here's my first challenge that I'm going to give you ladies for this next week, okay? And it'll, I'll put it up on the Facebook page, on the Facebook group, uh, B&B with Kim Rogers. Think of a woman in your life that is teleos. That's teleos perfect. Not house perfect, not clothes perfect, not gym perfect. She could be those, but she doesn't have to be. More than anything, she's walking in her purpose. She's mature in her faith. You see that she's accomplished in her understanding of God. Her perfection is not based on her accomplishments, her complexion, or her weight. And I want you to tell her how she inspires you. Encourage her, text her, call her, send her a note, go up to her and hug her, and tell her how she inspires you to strive to be teleos, to be mature and complete in God. That's your challenge for this next one, for this week. Our next meeting is April 16th. And I'm going to be talking about the Tetragrammaton. You guys are like, say what? <laughs> Can she say that in church? No. Um, it's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, what it is, what it isn't, how we come to it. Jehovah, it's not even really a word. I mean, it is, but it's not. I'll tell you all about it next month, where we get Jehovah from and, um, and where we even get Yahweh from. So join us on uh, April 16th. I'm not going to say September like I did last time, like two times. <laughs> so you guys, we have some discussion questions. I love teaching you guys. I love seeing you on these things. I hope that you got a lot out of this teaching. I have some discussion questions that I really think are going to um, be awesome for you guys to talk about. So thank you.